0: Hello and welcome to Tales from Mysteria Lane I'm Billy Ray And I'm Joel And you're listening to the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives Episode by episode Today, we're doing Season 2, Episode 16, There Is No Other Way. 16! I know, right? So, in today's episode, I'm going to be breaking down Episode 16, while Joel's going to be giving us some fun facts, some trivia. Do you have anything to start us off with, babe? Sure! So, this episode was
1: written by Bruce Zimmerman, and was directed by Randy Zisk. Now, Randy Zisk, he's got quite a few big shows under his directorial belt. He's done Suburgatory, Bones, How to Get Away with Murder. So he's done quite a few big shows and he will have also worked with Terry Hatcher before because he was a producer and writer for the um, Superman show that she was in.
0: I love Suburgatory. I
1: know you do. We've spoken about that before. So the episode originally aired on Sunday, the 12th of March. And it was originally titled When It's Done. Some of the translations of the titles are reasonably the same. There's a couple that remain as there is no other way. There's a couple that translate to the right way. But the one that I do think is worth mentioning is the French title. It's always the French title. They're always crazy and weird. I love it. Which translates to the surgeons, the lawyer, his wife and her lover.
0: That's a bit much.
1: (laughs) Absolutely amazing title. If that doesn't give you the tea of what this episode is going to be about, I don't know what would. So this episode sees Brenda Strong, who plays Mary Alice Young, visibly in a scene for the first time in season two, and it has the return of Dagny Kerr, who plays the nurse Nurse Heisel, Ruth Ann Heisel, who's also been in shows like ER, The Middle, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You've not met her in Buffy yet.
0: Nurse Heisel is gold in this episode.
1: Absolute gold. I absolutely love Nurse Heisel, and we have uh, Desert Man eight four five, who left another review. Uh, Again, warning, spoilers, apparently. And the review simply says, funny but serious. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to explain the whole Desert Man thing for new listeners? Desert Man is someone who has left reviews on IMDb. This review was April 2014, and he has us hooked. Yeah,
0: we came across someone like, six episodes ago and now it's a recurring thing it's a
1: recurring thing I will always go out of my way to find the Desert Man review now for each episode because (laughs) I just I think they're absolutely golden
0: (laughs) it all started with Susan finds his dad
1: yeah (laughs) that was the first one (laughs) Susan finds his dad (laughs) oh sorry I missed one the episode title is actually of the song There Is No Other Way which is from the Stephen Sondheim musical Pacific Overtures that's a
0: cool title mmm Okay, great trivia. Thank you. Thanks, babe. Now, I'm really excited for this episode because, basically, this episode is gold. Okay, like, this is such a funny
1: episode. It is a fantastic episode. Serious where it needs to be serious, but absolutely hilarious from beginning to end. Like, (laughs) it's classic Desperate Housewives.
0: (laughs) So, previously on Desperate Housewives, Lynette calls out Bree on having a drinking problem after Bree falls asleep babysitting. Gabby admits to having an affair with John Rowland to his mum, Helen. And Felicia concocts a scenario in which Noah Taylor discovers that his daughter Deirdre's murderer is still out there. And that he has a grandson. And that's all you need to know leading yep. up to this episode. That's pretty much all you need to know. So we have an opening in which Mary Alice talks about Paul Young's uncanny ability with um, just the stock market. He just knows what's going to be popular and what's going to work, you know. He saw before anyone else how successful things like cheap instant coffee and bottled water would be. However, he doesn't see Detective Sullivan coming to take him down to the station for questioning regarding credit card fraud. He gets taken down, leaving Zach at home while Felicia watches him from across the street. When we get to the station, the detective proceeds to arrest Paul and they make out like there's some sort of computer problem and so Paul's gonna need to go to a different jail or prison or something. And when he gets put in the van, he gets attacked by some thugs hired by Noah.
1: Mm Mm-hmm, they're like, this is for Deirdre. Or whatever they said, something like that. Yeah. But yeah, so, and then we sort of see the outside of the van shaking.
0: So from the
1: looks of it, Paul's had it. Yeah, from the looks of it, Paul's handcuffed. He can't exactly unhook himself from the handcuffs. And there's like four people in this van that's fighting against him. So the odds don't look very good for Paul right now. No, they don't. (laughs) But Felicia's back on the lane. Yeah. She comes back in a little
0: taxi. She's like rocked up to the lane again, like nothing's ever happened. Staring at Zach and Paul from across the yard, doing her thing. Mm Mm-hmm. We then cut to our partial title sequence and then we have Mary Alice talking about how Brie has a specific routine for doing chores and then when all of her chores are complete she rewards herself with a little drink. When she finishes for the day she sees Lynette out her window talking to the other ladies and we cut to a shot of them as Lynette talks about how Brie was drinking and how she fell asleep watching her kids and basically everything that happened in the previous episode following the whole drinking and falling asleep thing. When Lynette drives off, Bree comes outside to talk to Susan and Gabby and asks if Lynette spoke to them about their little tiff. The ladies say yes and Bree makes up excuses about getting her medicine mixed up or something like that to try and save her reputation, save face, all that, before she leaves to go to the mall. When she's gone, Gabby points out the smell of alcohol on her breath.
1: Yeah, it's not very good. And, like, her defence there is also a little bit suspicious. And Brie's like, I enjoy a glass of wine with dinner. Like, who who doesn't? And I'm just like, Brie, stop. Just stop, girl. Yeah. <laughs> Digging a hole. <laughs> because you're just, yeah, you're not making this look like you're any more innocent. So, oh, also, I did, um, because like, Brie was like, they're having a white sale. Does anyone want anything? And I was like, what the hell's a white sale? Is it a sale on white goods? No, because I originally thought that. But then she said she's going to get a discount mat. Yeah, she was like, I'm going to get a bath mat. So I was like, oh, it can't be a sale on white goods if it's a bath mat, because most people would know. But for those that might not, white goods are things like washing machines, fridge, freezers, things like that. Sort of like plumbing items. Yeah. <laughs> um, so white sale is just, just with a quick Google, it's apparently shop sales on linen. Oh, okay. But then it also says that white sales are just a general sale. Right. So, uh, I don't know, but I would imagine that a sale is just a general sale and a yeah, white it's sale just would... Yeah, sale. Yeah, um, and that a white sale would probably be like sales on linens and things, which would explain the bath mat. Right,
0: okay. We then see Lynette in the office. So, Tom is pitching an Eskimo ad to Lynette, who finds the advert a bit reductive, telling Tom that they could do better. Following this, Tom follows Lynette into her office to call her out, and Lynette tells him that although she was a little bitchy, he did a half ass job. Tom insists that he worked really hard on it, despite Lynette saying that she saw him watching the game while he was working on it, and he admits that he didn't give 100%. Tom,
1: Lynette literally told you this would happen. You're acting all butthurt because she's having to be your boss at work, and a couple of episodes ago, when you wanted to get hired at this company, Lynette said, I worry you will come home seething with resentment because I have to ride you so hard in the office because I'll be your boss. And he was just like, no, no, it's fine. I want to work because I feel emasculated, blah, blah, blah. And now here we are, this exact thing that Lynette warned Tom would happen
0: is happening and guys prepare because this is a damn pattern. Yeah, Lynette called it, we knew it was going to happen, you could see it from a mile away. Yeah. Also, here's the thing, when your wife is your boss, you can't really lie to her about how much work you put into the ad because she lives with you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and like, Lynette sees through Tom's BS and she was not gagged by that pitch and neither was I. And let me tell you why. Tom's advertising pitches are very samey. So in the episode that came out, sixteen fifteen, episode 14 with the bacon, Tom's pitch for that was farm fresh bacon will make a piggy out of you too. And then Tom's Eskimo pitch in this episode was literally pretty much word for word exactly the same. Polar fresh mints will give your breath an A plus two.
0: I guess you could say he's got his own little... Niche? Style. Mm. But if you're going to be successful, your style needs to be good. The only problem is that his style is very typical. Yeah. These scenes are great though, because we've got advertising, which is your thing.
1: It is. It is absolutely my thing. And I love scenes like this. And I love seeing Lynette and Tom working on pictures
0: together so I can sit there and be like, Oh, that's not good. That's not good. And that polar fresh mints was not good. (laughs) So Susan's in the hospital and she is introduced to her surgical doctor who's broken his primary arm, his preferred arm but he informs her that Dr Ron will be helping him out throughout the procedure, so she'll have the doctor's skills and Dr Ron's brains, although this doesn't really fill Susan with confidence. Following this little meeting, Dr Ron has Nurse Heisel bring her in a card and a big bouquet of flowers. We then have a golden moment where Susan reads the card and Nurse Heisel asks if she can read it too. Susan says it's actually kind of private and Nurse Heisel says, well I did help him pick out the flowers, So Susan begrudgingly lets her read it. Oh, you helped him pick out the flowers? Well, of course, read this note. And next time, do you know what? Join us in bed. Susan is not having any luck with any of her surgery stuff. No, like after all of
1: the drama that we got a few episodes ago and Susan was like, I don't feel comfortable with you doing the surgery.
0: He still ends up having to do the surgery. Mm. (laughs) Gabby and Carlos are meeting up with Rhoda, the adoption office lady who tells them that for every child, there are about 10 parents that want that child. So the mother actually chooses the parent, telling Gabby and Carlos that they have to make a parent portfolio, which is basically this portfolio with pictures of them with kids, and they have to get some referrals and all sorts of things. But Gabby doesn't really like this idea. But we've got a clip of what happens here. So I'm just going to play the clip. Yeah.
1: Now to show her that, you'll be putting together a parent portfolio. What's that? Family pictures, character references, that kind of stuff. So,
0: uh, we're auditioning to be parents? I guess you could say that. So just to be clear, some slutty cheerleader gets knocked up by the soccer coach behind the local gas engulf, and she is going to make sure we're quality people? (laughs) You don't need to answer that. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Carlos, he is so embarrassed wouldn't you be you're trying to impress this woman (laughs) (laughs) and all the gabby's proven here is that she's a bit judgy (laughs) yeah just a little bit judgy
1: (laughs) but are we all surprised by that no no no. (laughs) i mean i'm just gonna say this right now if it is an audition process and we have to audition when we're adopting children i'm all set the amount of auditions i've had in my
0: lifetime bitch please i got this I would also like to think that I'm pretty good with kids. I have nieces and nephews. I've got so many photos with them. Like, I could fill up that portfolio. Yeah, I think I wrote a note about that later on in the episode, actually, about family photos and stuff like that. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. All right, then. Well, let's move on so we can get there quicker. <laughs> Andrew goes up to Bree in the garden to have a conversation and tells her she doesn't have to hide her drink behind her newspaper because he knows that she's drinking anyway. And Brie awkwardly pretends that she wasn't hiding anything. <laughs> yeah, it was really awkward. It was a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> I wasn't hiding anything. I was just enjoying the day. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, you've had one too many already. He then tells her that his friend who normally gives him a ride to school is moving away. So Bree offers to drive him. But Andrew says he actually wants a car. Bree says that he can get a job if he wants a car. But Andrew insists that he shouldn't have to get a job in some fast food restaurant when he can clearly afford it. A car that is. <laughs> This leads to a conversation about how she wants him to learn responsibility and Andrew laughs at this, questioning what Brie would know about responsibility when she's drinking in the middle of the day, leading her to smack him across the face. Oh, sassy
1: bitch right there. She's like whack right across that face. I'm not sure if it's like real or if it's over-dramatized for television purposes, but every American teenager are like, mom, dad, I want a car. Like it's expected that their parents buy them a car when they're of
0: age. Andrew, go out and get a job like the rest of us. I think it depends on who the show is based around. Like, mm. if it's based around a parent, they're going to make the kids look quite bad most of the time. Yeah. Whereas if it's based around a teenager, it's they're probably not going to be as annoying about it. Yeah. Andrew, you're lucky you've got a trust fund. I'm guessing that you want to talk about Andrew's
1: entitlement here. I mean, yeah. he's in, like The way he looks down on the fast food service industry people, like, getting a job at some fast food restaurant is, like, really embarrassing or socially demoralising or what have you. It's just, a job is a job, and you will be lucky to get a job. Yeah. With the attitude that you have, you could probably
0: get it, but you wouldn't keep it. Yeah, I believe that you should get a job and work for stuff. Why should you go into your trust fund for it? Exactly. That's, that's there for when you're older.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like Bree says in that scene, it's there for you get that money when you're 21. That's the agreement, that's the deal, and you're not having it any sooner, because let's face it, Andrew would just piss it all away. Yeah. Well, he's not serious enough to take that level of money seriously. Assuming that it's a lot of money, you know, his dad was a very successful doctor. So, yeah, that entitlement was not cool. I'd have slapped Andrew too. Yeah, that's the thing, though. The slap was a bit unnecessary. (laughs) Well, he did turn to her and was like, well, aren't you a mean old drunk? (laughs) And damn right, you don't piss off a drunk, Andrew.
0: She's very sensitive about the drinking, I see. She (laughs) clearly is. So, back at the hospital, Carl is visiting Susan and having a laugh while reading Dr. Ron's card, thinking that it's very cheesy. His laughing wakes her up, and she takes the card away from him, saying that it's Dr. Ron's private thoughts, and after some questioning, Carl believes that Susan doesn't really like Dr. Ron, but is just kind of stringing him along. Susan doesn't seem to be in the mood to get teased by her, well, her new husband, so Carl leaves the room laughing, and on his way out the hall, he tells Nurse Heisel to be careful with his wife, Susan, and Nurse Heisel just has this perfect look of shock on her face. She is gagged i was just there like no he told nurse heisel (laughs) dr ron's biggest fan right like
1: no what are you doing (laughs) is there no other nurse at this hospital (laughs) nurse heisel is the only nurse that's been involved with these women (laughs) she was there when Juanita solis died and gabby was like oh my god honey are you okay um and now she's there with susan What
0: did you think of Carl's
1: behaviour in this scene? (laughs) I thought it was hilarious. I do love Carl and Susan together. I mean, Carl is sleazy and horrible and manipulative, but when they click, they just click. (laughs) They've got, they do have great chemistry with each other. So I love the scenes that they have together that are like this, where it's sort of like very humourful and Carl's just sort of being that banterful ex-husband that's just slagging off the other half. Well,
0: banterful husband. True, oh my god, that is true Bantiful husband now (laughs) He's just sitting there, waking her up Laughing at this card It's. (laughs) I mean, I would laugh at that card too Like, so I can touch your heart Like
1: you have touched mine
0: (laughs) Oh no, that's just Cringy That's just so gross So, Gabby and Carlos are going through Photos for their portfolio, but Gabby keeps wanting to put in photos that Carlos thinks are too risqué Carlos realises that none of their photos paint them in the right kind of parenting light that they need for the portfolio, so they come up with an idea. We then cut to a shot of them visiting Lynette, who they want to write them a character reference. They give Lynette a bottle of wine, and she reminds them that that's not necessary, they're all friends here. And Gabby and Carlos say that, in that case, could they also be the Scarvo kids' godparents and maybe have some photos with them? This is
1: a genius idea. Like, who better to go to to brand you than Lynette? Yeah. Like, this is absolutely fantastic idea. I think it, it, it could only end spectacularly. You need a branding campaign. You go to the Advertising whiz. Exactly. You need to pitch yourselves as great
0: potential parents. Go to the Advertising whiz. I'm just going to say, though, if I was in advertising and you wanted me to do some free advertising for you... And be my kid's godparents. You better bring me more than a bottle of wine. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It looks like Lynette said they're all friends there. Yeah, she said we're all friends here. But then they said in that case, can we be your kid's godparents and get some photos? And yeah, that's but, a big ask.
1: Yeah, but they don't have to
0: actually be the
1: kid's godparents, do they? They just need, you know, Lynette to say, you know, they're my kid's godparents. I'm pretty sure the adoption agency. Are they going to ask for proof of that? Probably. So, I don't know, because there, it, it would, there'd be a lot more to it than just Lynette saying yes. If that's the case, if they, the adoption company genuinely need proof of that, they will have to go through the whole rigmarole of getting Lynette's kids baptised if they haven't been baptised or, or christened, if they haven't been christened already. Because that's how you do the whole godparent thing, is through the baptising christening process, I believe. So they would have to go through that whole rigmarole of doing that just to get godparent
0: status. But if you're going to come to me with a big ask like this, I'm mean, at least going to expect some baked goods. But, you know, like, I'm going to want to get something out of this myself. Yeah. I don't know. I mean,
1: well, you, you get the knowledge that you are helping two friends become a family. That's not good enough for me these days. Oh, my God. You're so selfish. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am so lucky that you have family photos that we can shove into our adoption portfolio because I don't have any family photos. Like, they're all with mum, and I'm sure I could probably go over to mum's and ask them if I wanted them. But I'm
0: not in any rush to get them. <laughs> <laughs> so... Felicia is holding a cup of coffee and staring at Zach from across the road. Mike walks up to her in the street to ask why she's there, and she says there was some old business that she forgot to wrap up. The conversation leads to Felicia telling Mike that the police took Paul away last night and handled him quite roughly. Mm. We then cut to a shot of Mike in his house, calling Noah Taylor on the phone, who, when asking if he had anything to do with Paul's arrest, is told it's none of his concern. Mike starts to say that if anything has happened to Paul Young, but before he can finish whatever he was just about to say, Noah tells him that something already happened to him hours ago, alluding to Paul being dead. And Mike tells Noah that this was a big mistake. Huge. Big mistake.
1: Huge. (laughs) Especially on an acting challenge. (laughs) Honestly, Mike is just so dominating in this scene. He's like, you don't get it. I'll start this myself. And then he pulls the gun out and he's like, and I'm just like, oh, Mike, you saved the day, girl. (laughs) He's pissed. Yeah, he is pissed. But what is Felicia wearing? I don't even
0: remember. What was it? It was hideous. Wearing?
1: It was like some like greeny, orange, yellowy cardigan. <laughs> it was disgusting. It was. Uh, no. I don't remember. No, it, it um... was.
0: It was awful. <laughs> so Felicia's role in this episode is literally just to stare across the street, pretty much. So far. that's that's just what her role is right now. She just
1: gets to hide behind doorways and stare across the street with a mug in her hand. She's really creepy. She is really creepy.
0: Dream, dream role. You don't really have to do that much, girl. But imagine me and Zach and just looking out the window and seeing Felicia staring at you from across the street all all day. Yeah. At the Scarvo house, Tom is telling Annette that she overcooked the dinner and proceeds to ask her if she put 100% effort into the cooking. Which triggered me. Real petty. That was really (laughs) petty. Lynette tells him to just make his point already, and Tom tells her that no one can put in 100% all the time. You make your best effort with the energy and time that you have. Lynette then points out the distinction between the meatloaf and his presentation, which was business, leading Tom to ask if Lynette is putting clients before her own family. So Lynette, feeling the eyes of all of the kids on her, apologises to Tom. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, hand on heart. She did. I even wrote it. I was like, Lynette, hand won this episode. <laughs> oh, yep. So this has been brought up in a previous episode, but whenever Lynette says sorry or acts really heartfelt, yeah. she puts her hand to her yeah, chest. Yeah, if she's like ever apologetic or serious <laughs> or anything,
1: she will put her hand on her chest. She'll be like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Keep an eye out for that, guys, because it's gonna, it's going to be a staple on this show. I'm sorry. Honestly, I think we need to do a, do a counter starting from this episode. We've already we've already missed a season and a half. It's never too late. Yeah. So um, this is one we've done. We've got one this episode. I only noticed it one time this episode. And we've already pointed out previously. So we'll make this number two. Okay, we'll make this number two. Yeah. Um. This is just really petty. It's really petty of Tom. And Tom's like, no one puts 100 percent into anything ever. You do the best with the time and energy that you've got, and I'm just like, Tom, you have the audacity to sit there and talk to Lynette about how she can do the best with the, you know, You just do the best of the time and energy you've got. And she is there trying to tell your kids not to have their elbows on the table, eat her dinner, feed Penny on her lap, and also cook a dinner and work as the uh, vice president of a marketing agency.
0: Yeah, in effect, she probably has a lot more work to do in that office than
1: you do. Yeah. Why don't you cook? I'm literally I was just like, she she's got an excuse to maybe perhaps burn the meatloaf a little bit. Her excuse was that she was on the phone to Susan and she left it in a little bit too long. But she was probably doing more than just being on the phone to Susan. She was probably looking after the kids, probably holding Penny, changing Penny, you know, doing something with Penny perhaps. So she's got an excuse to not constantly be putting in a hundred percent effort into the work this is petty childish behavior from tom and to rope this in with the kids around really
0: boils my blood yeah using the kids as like a pawn in your little war games yeah the minute he said the dinner's a bit overcooked i thought i would have thrown my plate right out of his face right (laughs) and then the kids she asked the kids what it was like and they're like it's a little salty and she's like eat your dinner oh you're (laughs) a little salty (laughs) god what an infuriating scene but at least lynette was the bigger person and she was just like okay I hurt your feelings I'm sorry can we move on yeah so Andrew meets up with Justin at the super cool flower arch location where everyone goes to secretly meet up right and he puts a ring on his finger but cheer not fellow gays because this is not a proposal it's not a declaration of love as Justin then proceeds to punch Andrew in the face yeah <laughs> it's, the the, it's not a proposal it's gay bashing <laughs> <laughs> gay on gay hate it's a real thing <laughs>
1: Hey, it really is.
0: So he tells Justin to hit him again, but Justin is worried about messing up Andrew's face. Andrew then manipulates Justin into doing it again by saying, Do you love me? Then do what I tell you. So Justin punches him again.
1: I know they're gay. But the ring that he gave Justin was a little gay. That's because it's his mum's ring. Yeah, I know. It was like, it looked like one of the rings that my mum used to wear back in like the 90s when she used to wear rings. And it had like <laughs> the big jewel on it. And I was just like, oh, that that's like a QVC ring girl. Oh, <laughs> I really hate the ring. But in all fairness, I don't like rings anyway. No, I'm not a fan of rings either. I don't get why Justin's going along with this. Like, I know he loves him and all that, but if my boyfriend came up to me and said, I want you to punch me in the face in a non-sexual way, I'd have questions.
0: What's a sexual way to punch someone in the face? I don't
1: know. People get off on stuff like that. And if I had a boyfriend that got off on that, I would probably sort of like be willing to discuss it with them and be like, yeah, okay, if that's your thing, then we can try it. And I will be there for you as a supportive boyfriend to do what you need to do to get your rocks or whatever. But in a non-sexual way, and my boyfriend just looks at me and says, punch me in the face. (laughs) I'd have some questions.
0: Yeah. um, I feel bad for Justin because he is getting manipulated. Mm-hmm. So bad by Andrew. He's just
1: sort of, yeah. He's there on the side. Andrew's using him at the moment. Yeah. It's not very nice. Justin. Justin's had a rough
0: ride of it so far. He has. He probably doesn't want to punch him. He's like, I know what being punched feels like. I right? don't want to do this. Justin's like, I've been gay bashed before. I don't want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Following their rough dinner conversation, Lynette implies that they could make up for their rough day by having sex. So Tom proceeds to make out with her. When they get on the bed though, Tom stops kissing Lynette as Lynette keeps trying to get on top and he doesn't like it. Lynette denies this, but Tom proceeds to berate Lynette for always having to call the shots. Lynette asks if this is about her being the boss and says that he needs to get over it, but Tom says that this is the problem and that she's the boss everywhere and all the time. Lynette, however, blatantly calls out Tom and says that he can't put all of this on her and that he needs to grab the wheel once in a while. But Tom isn't having any of it and he leaves the room to go and check on the kids. So this is a, it's a bit heavy for sex.
1: Right? Oh my God. That's certainly not foreplay conversation. Like snap to Lynette, snaps to Lynette for sitting there and being like, you want to control things? Take the damn wheel. You're in control of your own life. And I'm sorry, listeners, you get this an awful lot from B with Carlos, but Tom is my Carlos. Okay. He is, he is the Ross of Desperate Housewives to me. (laughs) Like, honestly, he's just, he is awful. He's, why can't Lynette be on top? It's not a conspiracy theory. He was there like, oh, it felt like you were pushing me. It felt like you were sacking me. Can a woman not be on top? Is it emasculating for you, Tom? I
0: just found this really weird. I get what Tom is trying to say, but relating it to her trying to be on top of him in bed, I was like, uh, this isn't yeah. added up for me <laughs> like, you will have
1: done so many different positions over your married life like surely Lynette being on top is not so dumbfounded Like it's not such a crazy idea for it to happen I think it's more that he wanted to be on top in that moment but she was pushing it back was, yeah it was power play um, it was power play but uh, I just I think it was all a conspiracy theory in Tom's mind I don't think Lynette knew what she was doing I think Lynette was just trying to be on top herself No, communication is key.
0: He's reading into this a bit too much.
1: Like, just... Tom is the absolute worst, just because it's a cycle. It's a repetitive cycle with Tom. He is always unhappy. He'll always complain that he's unhappy. Make a decision he claims needs to be done to make him happy. Force Lynette into being the dutiful wife that backs him up with that decision. And gives Tom what he wants, but warns him that it might not be the best idea... For him to then moan at Lynette because he is unhappy because the idea that he wanted to happen didn't work out in the best way and Lynette was correct. And it is so draining. I honestly don't know how Lynette does it. It's the lack of respect for his wife, in it. Yeah. And it's, Especially considering oh, that... that she's always supporting him. Yeah. Sorry, so that was my Tom rant number, like, 54 or whatever.
0: <laughs> I don't even have a Carlos rant today. No, that's, that's a pleasant surprise. <laughs> Whenever there's no Carlos rant, there's going to be a Tom rant. Yeah, <laughs> we, t- we try to alternate it so it's not to overwhelm you guys. We've got pretty much my favourite scene now. Oh, okay. <laughs> so good. So back at the hospital we've got another fantastic Nurse Heisel scene in which she goes into Susan's room and passive-aggressively throws down her chart and starts taking her blood pressure, very roughly, and actually hurting Susan in the process. She tells Heisel that it hurts, and Heisel responds with, Really? That surprises me. I just assumed you were dead inside. (laughs) Before Susan pulls it off her arm, you know, the blood pressure thing, Mm. and asks what the hell she's doing. What the hell? Nurse Heisel then says that she wanted to stay out of it, but she knows that Susan's married, following what Carl said in the previous scene, and calls Susan a lying, adultering skank before leaving the room. That makes you a lying, adulterous skank. (laughs) Susan tries to run after her, but hilariously, she is stopped by all of the things that are attached to her. So she pulls out her IV, she unplugs the machine from the wall, and she takes all of this stuff to the nurse's station where Heisel is to (laughs) tell her everything. While she's holding all this stuff. I just, surely, um, like, it's not just easier to unhook it all instead of pulling it out of the walls. Panic, right? <laughs> Heisel then says it's okay as long as she's protecting Dr. Ron and not two-timing him after she explains everything. And then they have a bit more of a girly conversation about the card that he wrote for Susan. Because Heisel just goes to and from these levels so quickly. So quickly. Heisel asks if Susan read between the lines and she says that Dr. Ron's working up the courage to tell Susan that he loves her. Susan then asks if they have the insurance thing worked out and Heisel says, oh, don't worry about that. Who am I to cast stones? I didn't even pass my nurses exam. They didn't ask me. Oh my god, absolutely mental. And instantly, I was so worried for every patient in this hospital. Right, no wonder she was hurting Susan. She's just,
1: she even, girls over
0: <laughs> No wonder Juanita died.
1: Right? <laughs> yeah, do you know what? I'm sure a nurse that passed her training exam would not have been listening to music on the job while having a smoke break. Right. right. Not cool, Nurse Heisel, not cool.
0: I um, loved this scene. It was hilarious. It's... Nurse Heisel is so great in this episode. <laughs> and she they've teamed her up with Susan and they're both so ditzy. And Susan's literally standing there holding all of her hospital stuff, the machine, the IV. Uh. This this scene is just a mess. <laughs> it's an absolute mess of a scene. Everything's just
1: all over the place. It's panicked. There's that bumbly music. Nurse Heisel's being a bitch and then Susan's she's been... not being a bitch. Yeah, and Susan's like ripping stuff out of the wall and oh, like when she tries to run away, but the IV's in her arm and she can't and it pulls her back. <sighs> Yeah. Oh, gross. Oh, it makes me feel sick. I felt that oh, when I God. watched it. I understand. I, we just, I think we need to take a moment here to say, I understand that Nurse School is Dr. Ron's colleague, but as a nurse, you do have a duty of care <laughs> and you can't be reacting to patients this way. That would have come up in the nurse's exams. I mean, yeah, but come on. I, I haven't even taken
0: a nurse's exam and i know about duty of care. <laughs> <laughs> like... Bree comes downstairs to find Andrew's lawyer, Samuel Bormanis. Bormanis, Bormanis? Mr. Bormanis? Bormanis, I think it is. Waiting to see Andrew. Bree's very confused as to why Andrew would need a lawyer until he comes into the room with his bruised face. She asks what happened and Andrew says that she hit him, implying that she must have forgot. We then cut to the three of them sitting in the dining room while Bree explains to the lawyer that she only slapped him with an open palm, but Andrew insists that when she drinks, she actually hits harder than she realizes. But even then, an open palm wouldn't have done that.
1: <laughs> is he trying to imply that when she
0: drinks, she no longer slaps, but she punches? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> she insists to the lawyer that this is all an act, but he isn't having any of it, telling Bree that the situation is unhealthy and toxic, and Andrew says that he wants to be emancipated. Bree thinks this is ridiculous and asks how he'd support himself, and the lawyer says that he would be in charge of his own funds, leading Bree to realise that this is all about Andrew wanting his trust fund, which she refused him earlier in the episode when he wanted a car. Mm-hmm. That's what this is all about. Yeah, kids will go to any length to get money. Kids will go to any length to get a car. Except work. <laughs> oh yeah, except work. Except
1: actually get a job. <laughs> How much has Bree had to drink, like, just before this scene, for her to come down and see this 50-year-old man and be like, are you a friend of my 17-year-old son? Yeah, that was weird. She was like, oh, um, are you a friend of Andrew's? And he's just like, yes, I'm a 50-year-old man that's friends with this 17-year-old boy. (laughs) Like, how drunk are you, Bree? I mean, Andrew is manipulative as hell, but he's pretty smart. It is pretty intelligent of Andrew to do this. Yeah. But kind of scary intelligent. Like, Andrew, just think of
0: what you could do if you put that brain to good use. He's got a lot of intelligence and manipulative intelligence at such a young age. So he's definitely Breeze child. I was about to say, that's Bree's child. But bree has been doing this all her life and you're not going to outsmart her. No, but
1: just think for a second, Andrew, if you weren't so resentful, what you could do. Yeah. You have such intelligence and such beauty and such manipulation. You
0: have all of the weapons. That a woman that,
1: needs to survive. That like Danielle lacks. Yeah.
0: And Andrew is the woman of her children. <laughs> Andrew is the manipulative woman with all of the power. Exactly. And Danielle's just a gullible fool. This isn't a good look for you, Brie, especially if you're walking around with stinky alcohol breath. Yeah. Not good she, luck. Needs, she needs to get herself sorted now, otherwise she will lose Andrew. Have a mint. Yeah. Gabby and Carlos are back at the adoption office and they have a portfolio of photos that they took with the Scarvo kids. They make their way into the adoption office and catch the eye of Helen Rowland on their way in. So the adoption lady is very impressed with their photos, and she asks more about the Scarborough kids. She asks, what are their names? And Gabby and Carlos actually struggle to remember the boys' they names. They do! It's so rude! It's so offensive! Gabby just insists that, well, they all start with P's and they're all cute. <laughs> She's like, they all start with P's, it's very cute. <laughs> Porter, P- Pre- Parker, uh, they all start with P's. This is your one of your best friend's kids, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. This doesn't bode well for you if you can't remember your best friend's kids' names. How are you going to remember your own kids' names? Well, my mum doesn't. No, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Helen Rowland then walks into the room and says hi to Gabby. (laughs) The adoption lady says what a small world it is before Helen tells her that Gabby hired her son John to do her gardening. And then she would rape him. Gabby says that this was such a long time ago, as if that would make it any better. But Helen remembers that it was exactly one year ago, as it was just before Carlos went to prison for slave labour charges. Spilling the tea. Right, the property, the full-on tea. Helen then takes the Solis's file and says that she'll handle it personally and not to bother calling any of the other adoption agencies. She'll call them first. Oh, damn.
1: Right, I mean, I wasn't laughing at, obviously, the accusation of rape. I was just laughing at the delivery of Helen Rowland's line. The casualness. <laughs> the absolute, like, blasé casualness of her delivery when she's just like, oh, she hired my son to do her yard work. And also, she would rape him. And this adoption officer is just like what the what Yeah, Rhonda Rhonda has no idea what she signed up for. She's just <laughs> poor old
0: Rhonda's just sat there like rape, slave labor, what is going on? But the minute that Helen Rowland sees them going into that office, I was like, oh, no. Yeah, it's
1: not very good. We knew that Helen Rowland was going to come back this episode as well because she was briefly mentioned in the previously. Yeah, she was in the previous. So we knew that she was coming back this episode somehow because why else would they mention Helen Rowland? But poor Gabby and Carlos, they've gone through so much to get here. Oh, yeah, to get here. And I do, I think it's really cute because they, they are trying
0: to do this the honest way and it's not worked out very well. So back at the hospital, Lynette's gone to visit Susan and Susan tells Lynette that she has to break up with Dr. Ron. Lynette is very surprised and asks why and Susan says it's because he's so nice and he loves her but she doesn't feel the thunderbolt. Then they have a nice little girly chat about the thunderbolt and Lynette loves that thunderbolt but Susan isn't sure that she trusts that thunderbolt anymore as it's led to all of her failed relationships. So she's going to break it off with Dr. Ron, guys. Mm -hmm. Handsome, dreamy Dr. Ron. That's done nothing but be sweet And a
1: little bit gruesome. (laughs) Like, I want to hold your beating heart in my
0: head. And then it's just like, ew. (laughs) Yeah. In all fairness, I think you do need to feel the thunderbolt. You do. In a relationship. Because I've dated some guys that were really nice. And I was like, this is great. But I didn't feel that electricity. And it doesn't work because of that. I don't know. It is kind of doable. Trust me.
1: Go on. (laughs) Like, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, no, you do You do need to feel the Thunderbolt. If there's no Thunderbolt there, then then what is there? It's just a
0: friend. With benefits. Yeah. Especially after I met you. You've ruined any chance I had with someone else. How dare you? You did. I met up with you, we dated, and I, I felt the Thunderbolt. And then after that, every guy I dated, I was like, it's just not the same as it was with Joel.
1: Yeah, oh, hey, I said the same thing, okay? <laughs> when we got back together, I said the exact same thing. Did I not?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. So, there we go. We're on the same page, okay? God, I break up with you one time and you just harp on about it. It's like, honestly,
0: that's going to be in your wedding vows, isn't it? No, I I think it's romantic because I still have that Thunderbolt. Good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. So, I guess that's how I knew that you were the one. Yeah. Anyway, but we are tangenting about the Thunderbolt. Yeah, we are. Um, that got romantic. <laughs> Moving on, Gabby and Carlos are back at home and Carlos thinks that this is all a sign. First they lose a baby, then they find out that they can't give birth anymore, then Helen Rowland shows up at the adoption agency. Well, it turns out that she, like, works there and she's, like, in (laughs) charge or something. She doesn't just rock up one day. (laughs) But Gabby isn't liking his defeatist attitude and she gives him a bit of a lecture about rising to the occasion and how no one is truly qualified to be a parent anyway. And then she convinces him that their past doesn't really matter and that they will rise to the occasion when they bring a baby home. Carlos tells her that this is the first time he's ever felt like Gabby wanted a baby, and Gabby says it's the first time that someone's told her she couldn't have one. Carlos asks what they're going to do now, and Gabby says that there are ways for them to have a baby. It just might cost them. Exactly, see? I'm saying that
1: right now. Like, I should have really said what I said in the previous scene right now, which is, can we please bear in mind that they did try the legal route. They did try to be honest with regards to getting a baby, going through reputable agencies and, and doing the the decent thing. And it sort of blew up in their face. Maybe they're just born for a life of crime. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm not Gabby, then I don't know who else I could be. Because honestly, I would react exactly the same. No one's told me that I couldn't have a baby before. Because I've now been told I can't have it, I want it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I thought that was a really sweet line. Yeah. Bless her. Oh, she's, it's just, is she ever going to have a child? It was a nice follow on from the previous episode as well, where Carlos at the end of the episode was comforting her. She was comforting him, giving him the pep talk. Yeah, he was the one that was eventually like, okay, yeah, let's try adoption. And now he's
1: the one that's like, oh, we're just not meant for kids.
0: Yeah, so she's all like, come on.
1: Role reversal. Gabby originally, when this season's, this series started, Gabby was the one that was like, we're not meant for kids, we're not meant for that lifestyle, that's not us. And now it's complete flip. Carlos is like, maybe we're just not meant to have kids, it's the universe giving us a sign. And it's Gabby that's now like, no,
0: shut the hell up. But they're very nice here. They're they're supporting each other. It's very sweet. This is a Carlos episode where I'm not going to rant about him.
1: Right. Because they do
0: work. They work as a couple in those moments where
1: we get to see it. They are very dysfunctional. They're very messy. But we get those few
0: moments where we do see that actually they work together. Uh, Moving on from that, we have a not so sweet scene where Mike visits Zach to discuss the situation with Paul Young, telling him he doesn't think that what happened to Paul was an accident. They get interrupted by the doorbell and Zach goes to answer it and he finds Felicia on the doorstep with a tray of macaroons who tells Zach that he looks terrible. I just wanted to put that in there. Yeah. Mike asks why Felicia is there and Felicia says that her motto is forgive and forget, implying that she's going to forgive Zach for... Um, beating
1: be- her with whatever it was?
0: Yeah, fucking her up. A police car then pulls up and Paul Young, shockingly, makes his way out of the police car. We get a very quick cutaway of what happened in the police van from earlier, and it turns out that Paul is quite the fighter. He fights off the thugs, and as an officer opens the van door, Paul falls out with his cuffs around one of the thugs' necks. Right, he's a proper badass. I was like, what the hell? I was like, yes, Paul, go, Queen. All of this while handcuffed? Felicia looks absolutely gagged when she sees him, and Zach... (laughs) Helps Paul back into the house. But before he walks in, he takes one of the macaroons from Felicia saying, Now how did you know I love macaroons?
1: Felicia is literally like gooped and gagged right there. Her face when Paul comes out of that (laughs) car. It was
0: my face. (laughs) And she's just there like utterly bewildered as to how this man is still living. The first time I watched this, I was like, what the hell? He's alive? I mean, I kind of thought it would have been a really not very cool way to kill off a character anyway. No, it was quite um, it would have been quite a blue balls moment with murder. But after a minute, I thought, you know what? This does check out. Yeah. Like, I, I can believe that. Paul has this in him because he kind of comes across as a bit of a murderer and a bit creepy anyway, so it doesn't surprise me. Comes across as a murderer. He is a murderer. Yeah, and he comes, yeah, I mean, and he comes seen across it. as one.
1: Although yeah. it was um sweet when obviously Mike rocks up at, in the doorway and Felicia's like, Mr Delfino, isn't this a
0: picture? <laughs> <laughs> Later on, Mike is warning Paul about Noah Taylor. Paul says that they're going to run away, but Mike says Noah has the cops in his pocket. Paul thinks he's a dead man now, but Mike tells him to just let Noah meet Zach as he'll be dead in a couple of months anyway. Paul doesn't like the idea and flat out refuses, but Zach, who was listening at the top of the stairs, says to let him do it if it means that Noah will leave them alone. God, Zach does that a lot. Just stands at the top of the stairs and listens. It's because his dad doesn't tell him anything. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it's the only way he gets this info. (laughs) But yeah, he's a brave little kid.
1: He is. He is a brave little kid. He's just doing what he needs to do to protect his family. I think it's kind of sweet. Indeed. Indeed. And we have another Paul and Mike team up. We do have another Paul and Mike team up. They're there working together again. Zach Young's two dads taking on the world.
0: (laughs) Zach's like, I love my two dads. (laughs) (laughs) So at the office, Tom and Lynette are having some awkward lift conversation, you know, with the awkward lift music and they're chatting. Mm. Until Tom locks the lift and apologizes to Lynette, explaining that it's hard for a guy not to be in charge of his own life. He tells Lynette that this is his issue and that he'll step up and deal with it. And Lynette kisses him. Tom then proceeds to take this moment to get as physical and manly as he can, and they end up having sex in the lift. Surely those lifts have CCTV. They always seem to in these American shows, in these office buildings, but I don't know. It's I always find well, it a, a most, bit of a weird thought. Most UK elevators have CCTV as well. UK lifts have CCTV? Yeah. Oops. Otherwise there'd be way more murders in elevators. Get away with it. <laughs> I thought this was a great scene of them in the lift. Tom apologises, and he's like, You know what, Lynette? You are right. And he's gonna <laughs> take his own, take in charge of his life back into his own hands and he's gonna stop blaming Lynette. I would accept that apology if I believed it for a second.
1: Considering that Lynette warned Tom about this, I think that she is, might it's mighty big of her to accept this and not look Tom in the face and say, I told you so, now we've got a meeting and go to the meeting, because that's probably what I would have done in this moment. It's because I know what happens in the future series of Desperate the Series. Is, is... Well, stop that, because
0: we're not talking about future I know,
1: episodes. I know, but I, I can't disassociate it with Tom.
0: <laughs> so... Gabby and Carlos seem to have made their way to the sleaziest adoption agency possible, with the guy behind the desk saying that he's going to get their baby, even if it is by unconventional means, but that he has to have proof that they're prepared to face the challenges ahead first. This is clearly a bribe, and so Gabby hands over $20,000 to the guy, who seems very pleased with this arrangement right it's just it's really disappointing that they've had to resort to
1: this to try and get themselves a child just because gabby was guilty of statutory rape and carlos was guilty of
0: slave labor like we all make mistakes exactly Uh, and it was ages ago yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) i mean you couldn't get a sleazier office or a sleazier man could you i mean look at this place i don't think he looked the man himself looked that sleazy i don't think he looked sleazy either i'm saying he is sleazy oh yeah I'm saying the office looks sleazy. It's
1: weird because, it, well, I don't know, because his office kind of looked quite reputable. It had like the proper glass door with his name on it and stuff. The only reason it looks so sleazy is because it's really darkly lit and so it looks so sort of
0: sinister and dodgy. In all fairness, a bit of a dark small room. That's all you need in TV and film. That is true. The other adoption place, big open room, lovely looking like furniture. This one, there's a freaking filing cabinet on the side. It's really small. I was like, are you in some sort of like PI's office or something? Yeah, he, he's hijacked Jessica Jones's office right now. Right, <laughs> what, what is this place? <laughs> I'm just, I'm wondering what this guy even does, like, what is his title? (laughs) His, his title is, uh, Baby Getter. Sleazy Von Sleaze. (laughs) Moving on, Zach goes to meet Noah in his dark, dark, dark bedroom, and he tells Noah that he isn't gonna hug Noah, even if he is his grandfather. (laughs) Noah says he just wants a relationship with his grandson, but Zach says that he'll never see him again if he ever does anything to hurt his dad. Noah then asks which dad Zach is referring to, with Mike standing in the background looking very interested in Zach's response, until Zach says that Noah knows exactly which one he's talking about, the man that raised him, the only man he will ever care about. And after hearing this, Mike looks a little defeated. Noah then tells them that they can now proceed with useless small talk now that all the ground rules have been set. (laughs) He's like, uh, you're already blackmailing me. (laughs) I'm so proud. If I was Mike,
1: I'd feel a little bit beaten down as well by that. I'm like, literally... Zach, you're sat there like the only man that's ever cared about me. This is the man that locked you in a mental institution and didn't want to get you the necessary treatment needed to help. The man that helped cover up your biological mother's murder and constantly berates you and puts you down for talking about things that you naturally want to be able to talk about and he makes you feel bad for it. Yeah, but in all fairness, what's Mike ever done for him other than taking to a bowling alley one time? (laughs) Mate, Mike's tried to be a good father. It's not his fault Mike's had to spend most of his time looking for Zach and had no idea that Zach was even his. Yeah,
0: I mean, Zach, Mr Shady Boots over here. Right? Mike didn't know you were his until, like, fairly recently. But he's got his dad protected now, so there is that. Yeah, Zach's got what he wanted from this arrangement. He's got protection for Paul. I mean, I don't really blame Zack for not hugging Noah either, because he walks in there and then he sees Noah standing over there looking like Dracula. Right. I'm like, I wouldn't hug you too, mate. You look like a light breeze would blow you over
1: and knock you out. You look like you'd hug him and then he's going to bite your neck. Yeah, or he's <laughs> just going to like
0: turn to dust. Right. That'd be an outcome. That would be an outcome. What a way to kill off character. <laughs> <laughs> After this, Mike goes to the hospital with flowers for Susan, and he meets Carl in the waiting room. They have a laugh together about how young Dr. Ron looks, and Cole proceeds to talk about how cringy he finds Dr. Wrong and. Dr. Wrong? Dr. Wrong! (laughs) Dr. Wrong for Susan, right? (laughs) They have a laugh together about how young Dr. Ron looks, and Cole then proceeds to talk about how cringy he finds young Dr. Wrong. Oh my god, I just said it again. It doesn't say Dr. Wrong. (laughs) Dr. Wrong! It doesn't say Dr. Wrong. Amazing. They have a laugh together about how young Dr Ron looks, and Carl proceeds to talk about how cringy he finds Dr Ron, and his flower buying and his card writing. Susan is then rolled along by on the trolley, and in her drugged up state, she tells them to stop the trolley, and tells Mike how sweet it was for him to stop by it and how much it means to her. So in the operating room, Dr Ron asks how she's doing, and he seems embarrassed about his card that he wrote for her, but tells her that his feelings for her keep on growing. He then tells her that he loves her, as Nurse Heisel looks on in the background, looking very pleased for Dr. Ron. Until Susan says, oh, thank you. I love Mike. Big oop, right? So I'm just going to play a clip, and this is what happens next.
1: I love Mike.
0: Mike? Who the hell is Mike? I don't know, but she's married to a guy named Carl. I'm so, so sorry. I should have told you, Dr. Ron. Mikey,
1: Mikey, Mikey.
0: <laughs> oh, why are you always falling in love with skates? you beautiful, beautiful man. <laughs> okay. You ready to go here? Yeah, sure. Let's cut this bitch open. So we have more... Gold from Nurse Heisel. <laughs> right,
1: I just I just want to take a moment here to praise Dagny Kerr for her performance because it is iconic. I would say it's it's <laughs> absolutely fantastic performing, brilliant acting from her. So well done Dagny Kerr because you are phenomenal in this episode. <laughs> we all knew that she loved Doctor Ron. Yeah. I just I just think it's pretty shitty of Doctor Ron to say I love you to Susan at this moment. Yeah, she's well out of it. Like, she's completely out of it. She's literally about to be cut open and you choose this moment to say I love you to her? I just think that's a little bit she. Could you not have just said, you're gonna be all right. We're gonna get you through this. We're gonna get that... F- Friggin' spleen out. Yeah, like, why can't you say I love you to her when she's in a competent mental state and she's not drugged up? Wait, are they getting the spleen out or are they just moving it? They're getting the spleen out. Oh, they're getting it out. They're not not just gonna, like, clamp it in place. Like, stop wandering around. It's a splenectomy, so it's removal of it. Yeah. But, oh, that was such a good scene. It was a great scene. Absolutely hilarious.
0: Yeah. So, Brie is pouring all of her alcohol down the sink when Andrew walks in and asks what she's doing. And she basically tells him that what you appear as is what you are sort of thing. So if she's perceived as a drunk, then that's what she is, you know, in the public eye, etc. Andrew doubts that his mum will actually do this and that she'll probably end up arriving drunk to court, but Bree says that she loves him enough to give up alcohol. He then tells her that he's 17, so why can't she just let him go anyway? They've only got another year, but Bree says that she still has a lot of teaching to do with him and that he isn't half the man that she wants him to be just yet. With this, Andrew says that he's as good as he's ever going to get. But Bree says that if she believed that, she would get a gun and kill them both. Andrew harps on about how they're both so unhappy, so why not just let him have his trust fund and leave? But when he realises that he's not getting his way, he calls Bree a stone-cold bitch before yeeting out of the room. But when he turns around, she picks up her empty wine bottle that she just, you know, poured all the wine down the sink with, and she throws it across the room, catching Andrew's attention. He tells her that he hates her, but Bree says that the opposite of love is actually indifference and not hate. So if he hates her, they still are connected. Ooh, that's deep. Yeah, you're you're not um, you're not helping your case,
1: Bree. <laughs> no, but no, I I mean I get where she's coming from. But I Bree has one of my favourite phrases of all time. I I use it like I swear quite consistently in this scene, which is. Perception is reality. I've used it with you before when we've spoken, and I swear, that's like a phrase that I try and live my life by. Yeah, it's a pretty good,
0: it's a pretty good saying. And I perceive Brie as having some, (laughs) like a major temper. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I can't really deny that. She threw a glass wine bottle at her son, but. Well, next to her son.
1: Well, yeah. but How do we know she's not just a bad throw? (laughs)
0: But yeah, Brie is on a, a very messy path, mm-hmm. and I want her to get better.
1: She is getting better. She's making an active choice to pour her wine away instead of her pills. That's step
0: one. Oh yeah, 100%. Well, it's for perception. <laughs> yeah. We enter the episode with a montage and some Mary Alice voiceover, as always. She talks about how Brie continues to do her weekly routine, the only difference being her AA meetings on Fridays, where she stands up in front of strangers and says things that she doesn't believe. She does, however, follow up her meetings by coming home and rewarding herself with a drink for having another successful week. And we close the episode with a shot of Brie drinking some wine, which she has hidden away behind some boxes before we fade to black. So to correct myself, we don't really have a the kind of montage we have where we see what everyone's up to. No, it's just like a very Brie
1: centred. Yeah, this Mary Alice
0: voiceover is literally just focusing on Brie. Yeah, Brie
1: is going through it. (laughs) She's doing what Danielle asked her to do in the previous episode, which is
0: drink alone like Tammy's mum. (laughs) Oh. Why can't you just drink alone in your bedroom like Tammy's mum? Moving on from there, we're now going to move on to our segment where Joel is going to give us the best and the worst outfits of the episode. So, Joel, what was the best outfit of the episode?
1: I'm going to give the best outfit to Susan... Excuse me? It's going to Susan, even though we didn't really get to see the bottom part of it. It's at the beginning of the episode where Lynette, Gabby and Susan are talking like, just after the title sequence. And Susan's wearing this like country-esque style orange shirt, with, like the white sort of like pattern across it. Actually quite, at first I didn't know if I liked it. And the more I looked at it, the more I enjoyed it. And that is very fashion. Yeah. Is to look at something and sort of be teetering on the edge of do I like it, do I not like it. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was very, very nice. Okay. So, uh, the best outfit is going to season. All right then. So what's your pick for the worst outfit? So my worst outfit is going to Felicia this episode. Oh. With that <laughs> cardigan. It was hideous. It was like old lady cardigan. No offense. It was like green and yellow and patchy and no. Fair enough. No ma'am. So what do we say to that, guys?
0: Oh, geez.
1: There we go. That's what we say to that. So, Felicia, I'm sorry. I think this might even be your very first um, worst outfit award. So, congratulations, Felicia. Congratulations. Yay. Uh, So, that was my segment. And now we move on to B's segment of best
0: and worst parents. So, B, who do you have for best parent? Well, unfortunately, I didn't really come up with any best or worst parents for this particular episode. Just because there just wasn't enough for me to go on other than bad parenting. It was lacking in parenting, really. Yeah, so in this particular episode, I'm going to do my back out clause in which I'm going to do the Congeniality Award for Least Desperate Housewife and the Desperate Award for Most Desperate housewife. Okay. So the Congenial Award for The Least Desperate Housewife in this particular episode, I'm giving to Lynette. Okay. Because it was just marital struggles. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, she gets lift sex. She does get lift sex. And then I'm going to give my Desperate Award Mm. for the most desperate housewife to brie for the alcoholism yeah yeah and the slapping of her child i mean susan would be a very close runner-up for just the clumsiness of it all Mm -hmm. but (laughs) brie messy queen (laughs) yeah it wasn't a very good episode for brie and now we're going to move on to our final segment where we're just going to do a quick little review Like, just a quick little... Just just a quick one. Is it good? Is it bad? So, we're going to start with Joel. Was this a congenial episode or was it desperate? So, I thought it was a very congenial
1: episode. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. (laughs) It was sort of a filler episode in the sense that we didn't really get anything more on the main storyline of the season.
0: What would you call the main storyline of the season, out of curiosity? Uh, like Melanie the Foster. The Betty White stuff.
1: Yeah, the Betty Applewhite, Melanie Foster kind of stuff. So I felt like it was very much a filler episode, but I was satisfied
0: at the end all the same. Mm, kind of like last week.
1: Yeah. Yeah. How about you?
0: I, I'd say it's kind of congenial. I think it's a bit of a filler episode, but not to the same degree as last week because of Brie. Because this season seems to very much be... Bree-centric in my personal opinion from observing.
1: Yeah, like Bree's very much seems to be close with the Apple Whites. So mm. she's sort of getting to the heart of that storyline and she's got her own storyline that she's very much centred in as well. So mm. yeah, it seems so. to be very much a
0: Bree-centred season. And like you said in your little congenial review, this episode was hilarious Nurse Heisel was great. (laughs) Nurse Heisel was cracking me up. Every scene she was in, just her mannerisms, the things that she says, she's perfect. Yeah. So I'm giving it congenial. So that is where the episode ends. Um, Please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Like and share with your friends. Share with people that like Desperate Housewives. If you know anyone that doesn't like Desperate Housewives, maybe share it with them to get on their nerves. Yeah. Other than that, where can people find us on the social medias, Joel? You can
1: find us on Instagram at BoyfriendsReview, and you can find us on Twitter at bfs review.
0: You can also email us. Our email address is outlook.com and our artwork is done by Louis. You can find him on Instagram at DocRedMonkDesign. He also does commissions if you follow through to his Etsy page. Yeah, he's, uh, he's really very talented, so go give him a quick look. I agree join us next week we'll be back in your ear holes and we'll be doing season 2 episode 17 could I leave you Uh, yes yes we will see you next week and thank you for listening guys thank you very much goodbye bye